This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's going on, folks? And welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. I'm Andrew Hustler-Patterson, welcoming in you all in the live YouTube chat right now. Great to have you all with us. And of course, everyone listening a little bit later on on their ride home via one of the podcast feeds. Great to be with you. Got a big show today. It is game day, Jets Leafs, game two tonight of their three game series in Toronto. We'll talk about the Jets Leafs series and much more with Kenny Weeb of uh, well, Sportsnet contributor and obviously former longtime member of the Winnipeg media. Looking forward to having Ken on the program and Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Suns going to join us in about 10 minutes or so. We'll, uh, I want to get both of their thoughts on the big news yesterday involving the potential uh, merger, working together, whatever you want to call it, between the CFL and the XFL. And of course, with Ken, we'll spend quite a bit of time on the Winnipeg Jets. And we'll also get Ted's takes on the uh, Briar. Tough loss this morning for Gunner, Jason Gunlickson. Um, you know, they went into that matchup at five and one against two and four BC and really sort of needed to get that win. I mean, they will move on, it looks like. Um, but you know, with the losses carrying over, that's one that might hurt a little bit later on. But anyways, Ted's gonna join us a little later on. Ken as well. We'll get to the cool bet lines. Of course, Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, not Autocorp, the Nick and Nikki DQ Group, Royal Sports. And, of course, Boston Pizza Winnipeg. And I should give a quick shout-out before we get into it all to uh, Yoshibaba11. Yosh won our Boston Pizza game day giveaway yesterday in the uh, chat on the YouTube channel. It's a large uh, spicy pierogi pizza, meteor pizza, and a case of 24 wings. So it should be a good game night in the Yoshibaba household. And uh, the Earl of Eli was our DQ cake winner and um, Remo, pop in here, uh, speaking of DQ, because I know you were crushing uh, a bunch of uh, DQ last night. And the Earl, um, you know, when uh, when Nick contacted him, very excited, getting it done up for his mom's 84th birthday coming up. So um, the, the DQ connection with uh, with Nick and Nikki has been great for both a birthday in your household and, of course, our winner yesterday, the Earl. Yeah, well, Remo will uh, take that. That's <laughs> What a great, what a great seamless start. <laughs> to everything going on. Actually, we did have some laughs. Um, the behind-the-scenes operations of Winnipeg Sports Talk right now could be far more entertaining than actually what's going on the program. We've been uh, working working through a few things, as uh, sometimes even live on the air. So, uh, Remo, how's the blood pressure yeah. right now? Everything seems to be working. I'm good. I, I had to restart my program, and I think a lot of my stuff uh, changed. So, we are good. I'm excited about Thank you to uh, Nick for dropping off all the stuff for DQ. I'm literally set for the summer. It is on the Winnipeg Sports Talk um, Instagram story. You can see this haul that he dropped off. I got fudge bars, dilly bars. I was like, yeah, it's my wife's birthday. I want a treats of pizza. I have, like, enough to last a year. So uh, thank you uh, so much to uh, Nick and Nikki from DQ for uh, their support. That's for sure. Well, and if you're getting hungry for one of those ultimate grill burgers or a treats of pizza or a blizzard, um, pop down and uh, support Nick and Nikki for supporting us. DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ Niverville, and they just took over and have opened the DQ on St. Anne's, which I think I said in the first uh, the first edition. I always thought that was just a seasonal ice cream only DQ. However, I was wrong. So uh, you can get the burgers there as well. Uh, it's all set up for you. So, Remo, uh, before we get to Ted Wyman, um, you know, I want to get to Gary Bettman. Uh, you know, Pierre Lebrun's got an interesting report on what could be changing in regards to the draft lottery. 
But first things first, let's get right to it. Another big opportunity for the Winnipeg Jets to, you know, get a couple points against a team they're chasing right now. Although I think everyone, we heard this from Paul Maurice earlier this morning on a Zoom call, I think everyone in that Winnipeg Jet dressing room was expecting uh, the best from the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight, considering um, you know how they lost three games at row in regulation for the first time since Sheldon Keefe took over after Mike Babcock was fired. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know we were all in the Jets last game. I think this is this could be another bounce back for the Leafs. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the way they played. You look at high danger chances for the game. You just look at shot attempts. The game was in favor of the Leafs. But the Jets have, you know, their secret weapon. Well, not so secret. is the Vesna Trophy winner, Connor Hellebuck. And he was just robbing the Leafs left left and right. I mean, Marner in front with the uh, kicking out the leg. Uh, this guy is awesome. And the Jets, you know, anytime, you know, with their top two forward lines, and even you saw Mason Appleton, they can put the puck in the back net. They have so much skill, but they seem to be giving up so many uh, chances and so many shots. Can they sustain this for the whole season? They They've done it before. And Hellebuck, I mean, this guy is, you know, best goalie in the league or the reigning top, you know, top goalie. So it's going to be tough. I think they got to get this sorted out. You can't be losing that bad in the high danger chances uh, throughout the whole season. But hey, wins a win, and they've definitely been getting them. They've been squeezing games out into overtime, going with the three fo- <laughs> with the three forwards, and that's working for them too. So you can't argue with the wins, Huss. Um, you know, sometimes it's maybe not the way you'd like to see it, but you can't look at their, you know, the, what are they second in the North? division right now so yeah I mean you know what it's funny and I mean I do agree with the concept that you know you I mean you gotta eliminate those chances or keep them to a minimum and make the most of your own and you can't go on doing that forever however we're basically halfway through the season and the team's 16 8 and 1 and uh, in a pretty good spot right now but as we mentioned I mean the games like this tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs I think are going to be um you know really the uh, the test for the Winnipeg Jets I mean they played well and right now the Jets are 500 or better against every team in the North Division, which I think says to, you know, speaks to the fact that they've been very competitive. And, you know, sometimes it might be the goalies doing a little bit more. Sometimes it might be some of the, uh, you know, getting some scoring if on, on the off night. Bottom line is they've had some great results so far, and this is a results-based business. Um, you know, style points are great, um, but the points that matter are the points in the standings. And the Jets more often than not have been getting them tonight. Uh, but I'm really interested to see how this one goes. I mean, you know, you want to talk about a spot game. I think the Jets, you know, took advantage of some of the opportunities. You mentioned Hellebuck's play on uh, on uh, Tuesday night and what they were able to do um, to get that W. Um, to your point about those high danger chances, they are going to have to be a little bit better defensively. Um, and this is, you know, the def- defense gets blamed, about, uh, you know, a lot for that. Forwards have a part in it as well. Um, so that'll be a focus for the Jets, I'm sure, tonight. You don't want to put so much on your Vesna Trophy winning goaltender. But... If you have a last line of defense, uh, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Um, should be a great game tonight. We'll talk about that more with uh, coming up with Ken Weeb. Remo, today is um, sort of an ominous, uh, ominous anniversary. One year ago today uh, was the date that everything shut down. The National Hockey League turned out the lights. I was just looking, thinking back to that game, uh, March 11th, a year ago in 2020, Jets at Oilers. 4-2, the Jets win, two from Kyle Connor, one from Blake Wheeler, old pal, pal Patrick Line scored as well. And Connor Hellebuck was doing Connor Hellebuck things a year ago as well. 36 saves, only allowing two, 947 save percentage in that game, and uh, the Jets got the win. But what I remember most about all that is the fact that 
at the end of the game, the guys were talking about, you know, finding out in the intermission, talking to the guys on the uh, on the ice uh, from the opponents, the Oilers, about what was happening. I think it was Wheeler was saying he was talking to Leon Dreisettle about it. And it was just one of the most eerie situations I can ever remember. And sure enough, by the time the game was over, um, everyone was going home and we were going into uncharted territory, not just as hockey fans, but, you know, as humans yeah i'm i'm getting chills has literally sitting here uh thinking about it because i remember it was the sunday the indian wells tennis tournament was uh, was canceled and I, I was supposed to go to it and i was very disappointed and then more and more and more things got shut down then uh rudy gobert uh was announced uh, that he uh tested positive for coronavirus that was the first like major person to do it now it seems like everyone uh everyone has has had it at some point but it was we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know how long we were going to be shut down for. And still, one year later, um, things aren't the same as they used to be. I think we're definitely nearing the end. We're close to the end, the beginning. A lot more people are getting vaccinated. We're more aware of the appropriate protocols that need to be taken. But I think it is important to sit here and mark uh, what has been uh, a very, very crazy year. And honestly, it's hard to believe that it was a year ago. It either seems like a long time or it seems like just yesterday. I'm not, I'm not sure where, I, where I'm landing. Yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of mixed on you. I mean, I was going through my phone on the weekend, and I had some pictures um, that I took from the game on March 6th last year, which you remember was that amazing win over the Vegas Golden Knights. Connor Hellebuck got a shutout, was the first star, did the fishing, the fishing rod celebration afterwards. I got a good pick on that. Lots of likes on Twitter, Reem. You stepped up the social media game with the uh, with the big win for the Jets right. at that time. But I remember just how fun that Friday night was, how pumped everybody was just about the team and kind of where things were going. And then obviously it all uh, it all shut down. And you, you mentioned Rudy Gobert, Reem. I saw the uh, video um, that replayed, I think it was yesterday, of the infamous press conference where he went and touched everybody's microphones and recorders afterwards and... You know, you just uh, you just can't believe that stupidity of something like that. And obviously, we know how uh, how that all, that all ended up. Um, you know, so give us your thoughts on that. Kind of where everybody's at right now, one year later. It's great to be having hockey back for all of us. Um, I don't know about you, but I mean, it's kind of been a a saving grace right now, being able to watch these games. And you know, because you know, we haven't been able to do uh, do very much else. Um, it has been nice getting the bars open, and even if you're just popping into a bar top, seeing a game, it's nice to be somewhere outside of home right now. And hopefully, we'll trend more in that in that direction. Um, keep the chat coming. Great stuff. Hey, shout out to Mark Sports Video, who um, I think he said something about Dan Maurice uh, having a tough time teaching team defense. I'll give Mark a shout, and you should check out his uh, his Twitter feed. Um, he's done some really great video breakdowns. Sometimes they're not that flattering for the Jets, but if you like a breakdown of seeing kind of how and why things are happening, um, he's a really good follow and does some uh, does some great work. So, so listen, we'll get to a bunch of more hockey talk with Ken Weeb coming up a little bit later on. Um, there is a report from Pierre Lebrun on potential changes to the draft lottery. We will touch on that. Um, and just before we get to Ted Wyman, I'll remind you, and a big thank you to our friends at Not Autocorp, the uh, first guys on board with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Trevor Knott and his team there. Uh, why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knott team? Visit them in person at Waverly and McGilvery or check them out online at Knott.ca. And if you're thinking about moving a vehicle you have already, talk to them about their very successful consignment program. Help you get top dollar for your vehicle and get you into uh, the next one for you and your family. All right, um, let's bring in Ted Wyman. Our pal from the Winnipeg Sun. Lots to talk to Ted about. Teddy, what's up? Great to talk to you again, my friend. 
Well, it's great to talk to you as well, Haas. Um, congratulations on the new show. Great to hear your voice and see you again. And, you know, you talked about that anniversary and it's just, it, it really is a surreal feeling to, to look back and say that that was a year ago already. You know, I, I had just come back from covering the Briar. That was the last event really that I covered other than the Jets for a bit in the bubble in the summer. But, you know, it, everything changed. This was the day. And, you know, it's just like Remo said, it gives you chills. Yeah, no doubt. It looks like you've uh, just, uh, you know, uh, sequestered yourself away in a nice little country log cabin. you got the wood stove in the back right now. I mean, you're good basically for Armageddon, uh, if anything. But I think we're all trying to get you, uh, we're all trying to get together as opposed to get away. Um, you know, I want to get to, you know, some curling talk with you. And I guess maybe we'll bring it back to last year and everything that the curlers have been through. Um, but Ted, of course, I mean, you're covering, uh, you know, all, all sports and especially our local teams here in Winnipeg for the Sun. Um, what did you think of yesterday when you heard Naylor's report on the CFL and the XFL getting together? I mean, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around all of it, um, but I think it's very significant. And the fact that they're saying these are formal discussions lets you know that they're not just starting things. They are, they're pretty far down the road. Absolutely. And I did not, like when I first saw the email about it, I just it didn't really click with me how significant it is. But after watching some of the reports on TSN, listening to Dave Naylor, talking to Dave Naylor yesterday myself, you know, it, it is serious. And it is something that um, could be coming down the pipe, it sure sounds like, um, by 2022. And I don't know exactly what it's going to mean. I don't know how it's going to look. But, you know, this is a league that is struggling uh, financially and has had to miss an entire year and was unable to sustain a year without fans in the stands and they're obviously looking for some way to be sustainable long term um and you know you're bringing in some brands there in uh, in the rock uh and the other owners of the xfl that really might appeal to a different uh group of people and that might be the future for the league boy it's a big risk we all remember what happened with the u.s expansion it's a little terrifying but you know maybe it's the road that has to be traveled well, exactly. I mean, I think some would say, and certainly probably people in the know, Ted, that the bigger risk might not be exploring these sorts of things. Because I think that the fact of the matter is, and it's hard not to make this deduction from what we've heard, is that the CFL is incredibly dire straits. And to be at this point, to be discussing these sort of options, I think tells you all you need to know about the financial viability of this nine-team league as we sit here one year from everything shutting down. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think it also shows that although there are some people out there who think Randy Ambrosi's sort of been sitting on his hands through all this and, you know, uh, fiddling while the league burns. But I, I don't think that is the case. And I think this shows you that they are trying to do some forward thinking um, and not just trying to come back with the exact same business model that they had before, because when everything went wrong in the world, other leagues were able to make it happen, and they weren't. And that is something they know has to be corrected. No doubt about it. Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, hey, just before we get to curling, big one tonight, Jets, Leafs. Um, you know, they got, got a big, big two points to kick off this three-game series. We saw what happened when the Edmonton Oilers were sort of flying high at home against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, what, are you, what are you expecting to see tonight um, from both the visitors and a home team that probably will be coming into the game a little bit hot when they've lost three in a row? Uh, the Jets are going to have to play better if they want to win again, that's for sure. I, I don't think 
they could use the exact same formula and go out there and win it again. Sure, Connor Hellebuck is an incredible player, and he's made some he made fantastic saves in that game and and stole the two points for them. But that's a Jets team that um, has done this a lot this year. There's been many games where they were outshot, they were outchanced, uh, more high danger chances for the other team, way more shot attempts and possession. And that formula, I don't care, it has worked, but I just don't think it will continue to work. And especially it's not going to work against the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, I kind of expect the Leafs to bounce back real strong tonight, and then we'll see what happens on Saturday. But, you know, getting that first win was huge for the Jets. And, and maybe, you know, if they do play better than they did in winning on Tuesday night, they could be in pretty good too. Yeah, I mean, listen, once you get that first win in a three-game series in the situation the Jets are in, you know, I think you look at, you know, the opportunity. If you told, I think, most Jet fans, hey, you can go into Toronto and win two or three, I think just about anyone would have taken that. And getting the first one, you get the opportunity to get a little bit greedy with two shots to get a win and or maybe, um, you know, maybe even more. And, and and wouldn't that be something? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what the standings would look like if the Jets could do that. But first things first, big matchup tonight. Uh, we'll talk about it more with uh, Kenny Weeb a little bit later on today on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. All right, Ted, let's get to it. Um, uh, it's funny. I do not follow curling all year long, but we get to a month in the calendar right around now where I, like many Canadians, become glued to the television all hours of the day seeing the greats. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the Scotties. Um, it was just so much fun, and the, the women were, were phenomenal. I, I, it, is it just me, or is the nature of the women's game generally more entertaining than the men's game? We don't see a lot of the blanks and things like that that we're seeing right now in the briar. I, I think that depends on your perspective, uh, Huss, because there was a game yesterday between Manitoba and Northern Ontario. It ended up 3-0. It was tied for the lowest scoring game in the history of the Briar. It was a shutout that hadn't happened since 1998. I mean, Jason Gunlickson, it looks kind of bad on him, but they made tons of doubles and big shots to get the blanks. They wanted those blanks. It's not like they, they could have scored if they wanted to. They didn't want to. And I thought there was some great shot making in that game, and you can't tell me that uh, a game full of blanks really is is worse than a game with a lot of scoring. Now, that being said, there is some excitement in what you get in the women's game, which is generally more rocks in play and a lot more finesse shots, right? Because the thing about the, th- the differentiation between the women's game and the men's game is the weight that the men can throw. And those high heaters that Jason Gunlickson throws, I mean, they're unbelievable, right? Like he can move a ton of granite right out of that house. That's just not happening in the women's game. So they have to play more finesse shots, more freezes, more come arounds. And I think it does lead to, uh, for a lot of viewers especially, a lot more excitement. I have a suggestion, a rules change to curling that I would like to put forth. Uh, You might know, I don't know whether this has ever been discussed or ever been thrown out there. But from, you know, someone that is far more in tune with the game than I am overall. What would it do to the game, or what would you think of if they changed the rule that if you you blank you blank an end, you maintain the hammer, but if you blank the next the, the a second consecutive end, you lose the hammer? Well, I like that idea because uh, back at the Olympics in 2018, I actually had discussions with quite a lot of curlers, people in the international scene and uh, and in Canada about the future of the game. And there's certainly people out there who would say that, you know, actually taking away the hammer from the team who blanks 
is something that has been discussed and, and could be discussed going forward because it truly would change the game. I personally don't think that they need to go that drastic. What you're suggesting, I hadn't heard that before, but it's not a bad idea. I, mean, I just came up with it, Ted. Yeah, well, hey, look at that. You've, uh, you've got a great mind for all sports, Huss. But, uh, you know, I, I don't mind it. Um, it's a we- it's, curling is so strange. I actually wrote a story today about directional sweeping and how much that has changed the game. And the five rock rule, and before that, the four rock rock rule, and before that, the three rock rule of the free guard zone, those are massive changes to the game. And so curling's no stranger to that, you know? And, uh, you know, I think that down the road, after this Olympic quadrennial, you could see them look at some changes. I think the first one that will come in probably will be to switch from 10 ends to eight ends. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously the five rock free guard zone is in there, and that has made a lot of changes to strategy and even how certain players play at certain positions and then finally i think that they'll have that discussion about what happens when you blank an end because that really really would change things if no doubt i mean listen i i get maintaining the hammer but just to avoid you know games going four ends in a row with no scoring and maybe prevent the shutout like we saw yesterday. Um, Speaking of Gunlickson, he went into that game undefeated, um, lost that game, probably a far more disappointing loss this morning to a BC team that came in at two and four. Um, Just your thoughts on the the Manitoba rank. I think of the two, Mike McEwen certainly um, had maybe better odds, was thought to have a better chance, but it's been a great start. A little bit of a slip up, though, for the Gunlinson rink right now as we approach the uh, the next round. Yeah, I would say that Jason is uh, thinking back to last year when he went five and two in the preliminary round and then lost all of his uh, championship round games. And and he talked about how you keep that consist- consistency going because he had played so well early on and then it just got away from him. And I'm sure I'm sure he's hoping that that's not the case here. I think they played a great game against Jacobs last night. So, and, and, you know, you're going to lose to Brad Jacobs. That guy's really good. And also Jim Cotter and, and Steve Laycock from BC are pretty good too. You know, They're, they were good enough to be in the championship round here, but they had a poor week. And then they come out and play real spoiler against Gunner. And I think, you know, now Gunner's in a position where really everyone here knows if you fall to three losses, you might at best be getting in a tie break to get into the playoffs. So it's a, it's a fine line they're walking now so quickly after being 5-0 and again. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at that pool. I mean, you've got the Howard rink, and what a great story they are. Wayne Madaw coming out of the rink. I mean, he's made some just, you know, brilliant shots, and you know, that's one of the great things about curling. I mean, you can have a guy that did it, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago come back, and if he gets on, you can win games. But Gunlickson is there with Botcher at 5-2. and two. Um, Maybe the biggest surprise when you look at those pool A standings is the three and four record for Mike McEwen? I mean, uh, it just, your thoughts on uh, you know the ups and uh, well, unfortunately, more downs for the McEwen rink so far this week. Well, first of all, I just want to say that the Wayne Madaw story is one of the best I've seen at the Briar ever. I mean, he five years ago broke his leg in 11, 11 places and is playing with a fifteen-inch titanium rod in his leg. Our buddy Jay Bell from the Free Press called him the Bionic Man today, which was pretty. <laughs> Uh, but honestly, he, that is just something that you could never have imagined one year ago, he was inducted into the curling hall of fame and he never would have thought he'd ever be back on the ice, but here he is. And he's not just playing. He's in first place. It's really a fantastic story. As for McEwen, uh, I'm not sure Mike's head was here this week. 
you know, um, his wife, Dawn, is home. She's pregnant. Uh, she's due in April. Uh, I just have a feeling that maybe it, it was just too tough for Mike to quite get his head completely around playing in this event this week. And, uh, you know, he said this morning after their game, they still have another game. He said, I just want to go home. You know, I, it hasn't worked well for him. He said that they had their draw weight as good as it ever has been, but they just couldn't get the line right on the hits. And they were just off too much. They couldn't get the rocks to go where they wanted them to go. And in this field with these teams, that's going to burn you every time. Uh, oh. I really feel bad for Mike, though, because that team, they, they have such passion for it. And uh, their whole year was about getting here. And going home early can't sit well. Oh, man. Uh, Dennis Ferreira in the chat says, Madal looks like Shane O'Mac. Shane McMahon from the WWE. Now they both have the salt and pepper hair. I, uh, <laughs> I think you're onto something there, Dennis. Um, moving over to uh, the other side, both of the Manitoba teams in Pool A. Pool B, really the Kevin Cooey rink has been the story of the uh, of the tournament so far. And it was kind of interesting. The Epping rink had a tough start, um, but absolutely pasted the undefeated Cooey rink. And now you've got Cooey at 6-1, and one, Epping, Winnipeg native Matt Dunstone skipping Saskatchewan and defending champ Brad Gushu all at five and two. Um, it, it, hard to imagine that there won't be maybe some tiebreakers, Ted, in the uh, next 24 hours. Well, and any of those teams could come out and win this thing too. You know, that's that's really the thing is they have this these preliminary pools to get to the championship round. And I'll tell you, man, that's the briar right there. Like that's where these guys are going to start separating themselves from one another. And it could be a absolute slugfest because these are all fantastic teams that are going to be moving forward into the championship round. I, I really thought the, I think the Cooley team has unbelievable talent and unbelievable experience. And the way they steamrolled through the first six games, I would have said, and I still would say, they look like they're going to win this thing. And when Kevin Cooey's on, there's no one better in this game, maybe not in the history of the game as a shot maker. So I like the way that they started, except for the fact that I still think there's some communication issues there. And you can really hear it on the ice. And that's with the new player, John Morris, in there. And John Morris is an alpha dog. He's been doing this for a long time. And he's going to make sure that people hear what he wants to be heard in terms of his opinion on what shots should be made. And it has created, I think, a situation where you hear a lot more chatter and discussion about their decisions than you would have in the past or with a lot of other teams. So the question to me is, can they get that nailed down and, and make sure everybody knows their role exactly right and get, uh, you know, the, the, make sure they make the right calls or keep working with it the way it is and, and just let it happen. Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. I'm Andrew Patterson. We're talking a little briar as we get to the end of the preliminary round and into the uh, the next flight. And, you know, the this format, I have to say, Ted, both with the Scotties and the briar this year, with the expanded fields, the wild cards, and the format, um, I really think that they've nailed it. I mean, you have incredible competition for the first week, and every game really does matter. I mean, that that loss that Gunlickson had to BC today could be the difference between, you know, making it to the championship round and not. I mean, it's almost like you're in playoffs right off the bat, and then you really have the cream of the crop rise on to the next round um, when they're playing for one of those final three bursts. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think that there is still a lot of questions out there with curlers in general as to if this format is the right way to go with the briar. And, and I think the reason that they 
the thing they'd be talking about is the um, lower teams from the curling have not, not provinces and territories that, I mean, I'm sorry, like I, I hate to be too blunt about this, but that Nunavut team does not belong in the Briar. They can't, they've lost by 10 points every game. Um, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I think that there's value in this provincial and territorial representation. I know what the value is, but I also think it's a bit of a joke when a team is losing like that. And that team's in the Briar, but there's teams in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, BC, Ontario that are not going to get even close to a sniff of playing in the Briar, even though they're 10 times better. And I think that that discussion is going to get louder and louder as we go on in the, in the coming years here. But, you know, other than that, I think that the format works well to get you down to your eight teams. And I think I've heard that described, like it's almost like a mini tournament pre-qualifier almost, and then you get to your eight team Briar. And of course they do carry their records over. So those early games mean a lot, but it does create an amazing, I think a very good last four days event. Ted, before we go, um, the uh, preliminary round will finish and then we'll have odds on the, uh, the final eight teams. Give me handicap. Give me your top three favorites. One, two, three to uh, be the last team standing on Sunday night. Oh boy. I would love to take Howard. Madaw, but I, and I mean, I, I'm tempted to, but I'm just not sure that they can sustain it. I did not have that team pegged as a championship team coming in here. I like Cooey. I think Cooey is is an amazing shooter. I think Johnny Morris brings a lot to that team as well, and they are very, very well rounded. So I, I like Cooey to win this thing. I think Brad Gushu is not going away. I think he's going to be there for the playoffs as well. And it's hard to bet against Brendan Botcher three straight years in the final. He knows how to play when the games are big, except for maybe that one, because he's had a lot of trouble when he gets to the final. But he's done amazingly well in the playoffs heading up to that. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, the Botcher rink had sort of that, that tough start. Poked away that first game against uh, Gunlickson and got them off to their hot start and went from there. Well, Ted, I'll tell you what, been loving the coverage, what you're doing. Give people, people that are big curling fans, you've not only been doing um, all the writing, but you've also done uh, some video, uh, some interviews, and uh, some great commentary. Fill people in on how they can see it. Oh, I'm really enjoying doing that, by the way. But if you go to winnipegsun.com uh, or YouTube to the Winnipeg Sun channel, you can see all the videos that we've been doing, I call it on the rocks and, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Curlers are really fantastic people. And to get to know them in this manner is, uh, I, in a way, I think it changes your perspective on the game almost because it, there, there's just so much that they have to offer. Ted, great catching up with you again, my friend. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the rest of the briar. And we'll look forward to having you back on Winnipeg sports talk daily soon. Looking forward to it. Great job on the show so far, guys. Hey, right on. Thanks a lot. There is, uh, there's Ted Wyman from the Winnipeg Sun. Um, Vern Fechtow is uh, not in on Ted's comment uh, when it comes to the, um, the, you know, the, the noon of it not belonging. Uh, he said, totally disagree with Ted. We should look as a country representation. And you know what? I mean, I sort of get it. Um, you know, they, they want to rep, I want everyone to be represented. There are some, you know, territories with very small populations that just simply don't have the talent at this point. But, um, you know, who's to say that that won't change going uh, going into the future? Um, keep those comments coming up in the YouTube chat. If you're just popping in, do us a favor. Give us a like. That helps out big time. Um, we're going to get to Kenny Weeb and talk some 
Jets Leafs coming up in just a moment. Do want to mention that uh, our great sponsors, Royal Sports, are back on board with Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, 750 Pemina Highway, 650 Rally and EK. Of course, hockey is back and Royal is for over 35 years, your locally owned number one hockey superstore. And uh, I know we got a little bit of snow out today, but I was checking the forecast. We are we are looking good. Spring is going to be here before we know it. That means bikes, soccer, baseball. They've got it all at Royal Sports. Not to mention a great street, a great streetwear selection. So pop down, see the Hasbeaks, and tell them that the boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily sent you. And we've also got to give a big thanks to Boston Pizza. I have a feeling that some of those lounges are going to be rocking tonight with some people getting out to watch the game. Obviously, we still have to do it with household members or. You can roll solo. Been known to do that every now and then. Uh, but it should be a great game tonight. And, of course, um, you get that Boston Pizza game day meal that we gave out to Yoshi Baba yesterday with a couple pizzas, the spicy pierogi, the meteor, 24 case of wings. You can check out it online at bostonpizza.com. Um, well, let's bring in Kenny Weeb of the uh, – Sportsnet and uh, and well and the Kenny and Rennie show as well. <laughs> Look who's back on the program and um, I gotta say, um, longtime listeners of the program knew how much fun we always had chopping it up with Ken, busting his balls sometimes, but always having a lot of fun talking Jets and um, obviously with some of the changes in both of our work situations over the past year, we haven't done it as often. But uh, Weaver, man, it's great to see you. Great to have you on uh, this program for the first time in our first week. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Huss. A real pleasure to be uh, joining you here and loved what you've been able to do so far this week. Uh, some great shows, some excellent guests and uh, happy to contribute. Uh, you had me walking down memory lane yesterday when you were talking with Dave Naylor about your trip to Kansas City to see the Chiefs. For me, that immediately sparked my interest and thoughts of uh, that day that we were doing a little bit of tailgating on the other side of the parking lot uh, uh, with Raj uh, and my dad prior to game six of that uh, great world series between the Kansas city Royals and uh, San Francisco giants. And just w- what the amazing atmosphere and the, the connections that people feel uh, with their sports team, with, with sports in general and, and what it can really mean. I mean, I, that was a blowout game that we were at, but man, just seeing what it meant to Kansas city Royals fans, really just incredible uh, to see the the joy in that, and that game six blowout. Yeah, man, it was great to see you, Kenny Sr. down there, the Raj father, the whole crew out game six of the World Series. It doesn't get much better than that. And of course, you know, it was, a, you know, they got up so big early. It was a bit of a victory lap and everyone knew there was going to be game seven the next day, which unfortunately ended with uh, Sal Perez on third and Madison Bumgartner haunting me for another year. But <laughs> unbelievably, they made it back to the World Series and won it the next year. And as a guy from uh, a small market uh, as it were in the National Hockey League, um, you'll love to see those small market teams um, do what is unexpected. To some is impossible. It was certainly a great story, although they did go back to losing 100 games a year shortly thereafter. <laughs> so you just have to enjoy it while it was. Um, listen, we're going to get to your new project uh, in a minute, but let's start off with the with the Jets-Leafs tonight. Um, well, thoughts on the game one win on Tuesday night? goes without saying Connor Hellebuck was brilliant, um, but what were your takeaways from that game, and what, what did the Jets need to do better if they would like to have a similar result this evening yeah so obviously that was the Connor Hellebuck show for sure he was dynamite and at a time when you expect you expected him to be dynamite after being pulled for the first time of the season uh, I think the Jets uh, had probably two solid periods I mean they were kind of hanging on for dear life at times in the third there's no doubt about that but I mean again let's give the Leafs some credit I mean this is a team that 
has created some separation at the top of the North Division for good reason. Uh, the last time that they were involved in one of these first place showdowns, uh, they took a composite score of 13 to 1 against an Edmonton Oilers team that's been downright dominant uh, at their own right, except when playing the Leafs. So uh, obviously the Jets need to be tight, a little bit tighter in their own zone and generate a little bit more offensively. But the fact that they were able to get up off the mat after that shellacking at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, that's something that you can't discount either. And I mean, the one thing we've seen in the North Division, it's hard. I mean, we always hear about 60-minute efforts, but it's hard to hold a team down for an entire game, especially a team as as high-powered as the Leafs. Uh, obviously, I think discipline is a factor. Uh, the Leafs' power play uh, humming along at that 30% uh, clip uh, has been Im- impressive as well. But, I mean, the Jets were able to, you know, generate some key offense. And again, it was only one game of a three game set, but it was an important response for them. And if they can play well tonight and suddenly pull within two points of the Leafs, now all of a sudden that Saturday night showdown uh, brings a little bit of heat into the uh, discussion because let's face it. I mean, this is the first time the Leafs have lost three games under Sheldon Keefe. All of a sudden, if, if the Jets could come out with another similar effort, all of a sudden now, that first place uh, showdown isn't really a pipe dream, and now it's within their grasp. Again, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but uh, I, I think the Jets were impressive in bouncing back, but they also know they don't want to rely on elite-level goaltending, even though they hope to get it. Yeah, listen, you're going to really need it if you want to be, you know, beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, but... I mean, you don't want to entirely put it all on the shoulders of your goaltender. But I mean, to the Jets' credit, they put four past Freddie Anderson. They made the most of some of their opportunities, but you would like to see it uh, a little more even. I mean, hey, the, the Jets have had a ton of defensive challenges this year, both, you know, structurally, personnel-wise. Nate Beaulieu, um, you know, has been a bit of a uh, a hot topic, shall we say, <laughs> among Jet fans is the, uh, you know, a guy that maybe was being singled out. Um, he's not going to be there to be singled out for a while. He's out for a few weeks. And it's Logan Stanley that comes in. And I, I, to me, Paul Maurice really telegraphed this yesterday when he said, who's ever coming in is probably going to have to play some PK minutes. I think that suits Stanley more than Sammy Niku. Um, but man, you know what? I mean, he played quite well at the beginning of the season, hasn't played for a long time. And man, what a challenge to come in going up against the likes of Matthews and Marner in his first game back after an extended period of uh, missing game action. Yeah, I like the call though, Huss. Uh, I think that Logan Stanley is a guy who is, you know, one of the best success stories for the Jets in the early part of the year, even though, as you mentioned, he's been sidelined for a while here, uh, mostly on the taxi squad. Uh, Nobody has come, he's sort of the Jansen Harkins story 2.0, if you will. Nobody has come further in the last year in terms of his development, uh, sort of going from along that fringe prospect line to jumping right into the into the mix and becoming an NHL regular. So I, I liked what he's done with his mobility. You know, he used the time wisely during covid and he showed well. I think the one thing that would be a positive for Logan Stanley, and he was asked about it today, uh, he has faced the Leafs once already this year in his NHL debut. It's his home province, just down the road from his home city. I think there'll be a comfort level there for sure. And we should also say too, I mean, Sam Niku was out for over a month. He came in and had a pretty seamless uh, adjustment. So it is definitely going to be a challenge, but you would expect a, one other thing that I like about it, Dylan DeMello pr- probably as his partner, he makes his partner better on all occasions. So I think that's going to help in the comfort uh, level for Logan Stanley. And the other thing too, he was just starting to really gain his confidence uh, at the time he came out of the lineup. So I think that Logan Stanley will be ready uh, and I think he'll show well. And eventually I do think that he will 
become a, a guy that can contribute to the penalty kill for the Jets, but I don't expect him to be used in that role a lot right now. Ken Weeb uh, joining us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, getting ready for the Jets Leafs tonight, 6 o'clock start in Winnipeg. Um, Ken, you were just talking about the blue line, and you know, I think back to the Jacob Truba trade and all the heat that Cheveldayoff <laughs> took, and, and listen, he was... You know, from all accounts, he was put into a pretty difficult situation. And uh, I think he sort of made chicken salad out of chicken bleep, if you, you know what I'm saying. And, you know, there's a couple trades. I think you could say that, you know, that, you know, the, the return um, certainly now looking has been, you know, I think phenomenal. You've got a grade A prospect in Billy Hanela, But, you know, even without Hanela, Neil Pionk's rise. I mean, I think the way he established himself last year was a bit of a revelation for a lot of people. Um, but the way that he's playing this year, I, I asked Mike McIntyre this yesterday, and I'm interested in your perspective on it. If you're, you know, mid-season, if you're putting together, you know, awards for the Winnipeg Jets, where's Neil Pionk amongst your candidates for team MVP? Yeah, for sure. I, I did hear that segment with Mike and he gave a great answer. I mean, I think that the three people that would be in the, the, the discussion are Connor Hellebuck, Mark Scheifele and Neil Pionk. I uh, love what Neil Pionk has been able to do and, and under the circumstances as well. Uh, there's been a lot heaped on his shoulders and he's not only been able to produce points at a top five NHL level, he's played ma- the majority of the time on the Jets shutdown pairing with Derek Forbert to, again, a, a bargain bin uh, addition in terms of the cost of getting him in as a free agent. Uh, he's really been able to supply some top pairing minutes as well. But I, I love what Pionk's done uh, at the, you know, brought to the table, if you will, Huss. Uh, I did hear from people outside the organization last year when the trade was made that you, you were going to be impressed by what he was going to be able to do. But I don't think that we expected him to be able to have this big an impact. And probably for me, Hus, the most impressive part is that Pionk has still been able to produce offensively despite being relegated to the second unit, if you will. And again, that's not a knock on Pionk. It's a change in how the composition and structure has been used. But he's allowed that that second unit to be able to produce some offense as well when you have the likes of uh, Dubois and Ehlers on the flanks that he's still been able to put up points offensively. But the majority of those points are coming at five on five, which has been incredible. Well, speaking of that, I mean, how much longer can they keep Neil Pionk off the top power play unit? Yeah, I mean, right now, Huss, it's a matter of, I think, the, the, the one-timer pass from Josh pass from Josh Morrissey to Kyle Connor is a little bit easier to make than it would be for Neil Pionk. I mean, you got a lot of body angle adjustments that you'd have to make. Uh, obviously, we know that Pionk's shot from the top is a little bit heavier right now. It looks like that's an area of his game that he's also made a significant improvement on. Last year, we saw Pionk's ability to get the shot through, but I don't think we saw as many big one-timers or that howitzer variety that we've seen on a couple of his goals. So I think that's something that we should probably, as members of the media, ask Neil Pionk a little bit about uh, in one of his upcoming Zoom sessions. But uh, I think that having balance uh, on the two units has been important for the Jets. And the other thing that we're seeing us last year, we often saw that number one unit go out for 130, 140, 150 even. Right now, it's more of a of an even split. Not a completely even split, but most times you see that first group off at 110 or 115 if they haven't been able to generate a goal. And I mean, the other night's a great example. The first power play of the game for the Jets, pretty pretty poor. But on the second one, the first unit generated some quality chances, and then that second unit cashed in with that important uh, tip in from Andrew Kopp that uh, snapped a lingle. Now, um, Ken, you know, we were just before we move off the defense, uh, we were talking a lot about Pionk. Um, can't really mention Pionk without 
touching a little bit on Derek Forbert's contribu- contributions. And listen, I'll be uh, the first one to raise my hand. I mean, I saw a one-year deal at around a million bucks for a guy that had bounced around a little bit. And I thought oh, this will be a guy that will maybe be a depth player. Maybe he'll be, you know, a six-seven defenseman, sort of giving the team some depth. If there's injuries, maybe he plays a little bit more. Um, I never saw this coming. Um, just thoughts on what he's done, uh, and just the pairing of Forbert and Pionk and how important that's been to the Winnipeg Jets considering some of the challenges that they've had on the top pairing with Josh Morrissey as well as, you know, mixing in some younger and, um, you know, players on on that third pairing along with Dylan DeMello and Nate Beaulieu who have had some ups and downs, shall we say. Yeah, it's interesting. We knew that Derek we knew that Derek Forbert is a guy who spent some time on a top pairing with Drew Doughty. But uh, as some people flooded my timeline with uh, uh, in the off season, uh, they were quick to point out that that was also on a lottery team. But uh, for me, that's not an indictment on on Forbert. It's a matter of that he was chosen to be used on a pairing with a guy as as productive as Drew Doughty and used in that shutdown role as well. Uh, Forbert is a guy that he was injured a bit last year. I think he had a bit of a back problem and. When we saw him in the series against Calgary, because he was used as more of a third-pairing guy and seeing sheltered minutes, uh, you weren't sure if he could handle those top four minutes. But the one other thing we did notice about Forbert was his willingness to get in the shot lanes in on those penalty-killing situations. I remember in the first game against Calgary, Patrick Laine got his first one-timer through, but the second and third were not getting through because of Forbert. So he's really done a nice job in terms of his uh, net front presence, his ability to block shots and willingness to do so, but also that ability to go up against those top uh, top offensive players. I mean, we talked about Neil Pionk and his competitive level and him going head-to-head with Dreisaitl and McDavid. Uh, Forbert has been a real impactful player in that regard as well, and from talking to a few scouts from uh, other organizations in the summer, it's not a huge surprise, but most of those scouts thought he'd be best used as a 17 or 18 minute guy on the back end. A lot of nights he's had to play more than 20 minutes. So uh, I think he's done a really excellent job. And the one other thing that I should say, Huss, we know that Jets fans are always curious about the prospect side of things. Dylan Sandberg is a guy that we expect to be used in that type of role down the, down the road here. So uh, I have had the opportunity to watch uh, Hanela and Sandberg when they were together as a pairing early in the season. I liked what I saw from both of them. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the turnover on that back end is like, especially with the emergence of Logan Stanley as well. So you have, you know, three young players who are kind of knocking on the door, how they fit in and how the other parts fit around them uh, moving forward will be, well, will be interesting. Well, for sure. And I mean, the timeline on that. And I mean, I know there's a lot of people, I mean, patience is maybe not a, uh, a, a, a you know, a trait of uh, the average hockey fan everyone wants, especially with the talented young players that are doing it elsewhere in the league. You, you know, you want it now. I totally understand why these guys are playing and playing big minutes right now with the Manitoba Moose. But it, where do you think that turn, uh, that turnover comes? I mean, is it a next year thing? Because honestly, I do see a scenario, and injuries, of course, will have a big part to to play in this as well. Um, You know, if these guys get a month or two in, play big minutes and are playing well and seem to be ready to maybe get into the lineup, um, I wouldn't rule out one of the two uh, maybe getting in in those final sort of five games of the season, not playing enough to maybe roll over the contract here, but to be ready to be a player that can be tapped on the shoulder to play maybe even significant minutes in the playoffs. 
Yeah, it's certainly possible, Hassan. We'll go back to the discussions that you've been having earlier in the week with Marat, Frank, and Mike uh, in terms of who may be brought in on the back end in a, in a potential trade. But for me, I think the timeline for Sandberg is more likely to be next season. And the thing with Sandberg is his thing with Sandberg is his contract is going to count this year anyway. He will burn the first year of the ELC okay. because of his age. Uh, when it comes to Hanel, I don't think the Jets are keeping him out for that reason. I mean, if they get another year of team control out of it, would they consider that a potential bonus? Is yes, but I don't think it's a deterrent from him being in the lineup. And I do, I'm with you. I think that depending on how things go, obviously there's still a lot of learning to be done uh, for a guy like Vili Hanela, but we know his offensive game is already at an NHL level. So if he continues to progress with that other side of things, I'm with you. And I've been saying this all year long. I think there could be an opportunity for him to come in at some point, maybe during the stretch run and still contribute. I mean, it would most likely be on a third pairing. Uh, but again, there's a guy that can give you that uh, exiting ability and that puck moving ability that has occasionally been a challenge for the Jets at times this year. So uh, I do think that there is more likely for an opportunity for Hanela. But again, I'm with you. The patience part is important. We know there have been some challenges for the defense core, but his ability to play these 20 plus minute games at the minor league level right now is incredibly important for the long term development of Vili Hanela because the next time he comes up, He's not going back to the American League. He's going to be with the Jets to stay. But for me, it now it becomes a, a matter of whether it's a Matthias Ekholm or a David Savard or even a Travis Hamanek when it comes to the big game hunting, uh, if that's going to be done prior to the trade deadline. And we know the complications that are included with that uh, when it comes to the quarantine situation. All right, Weber, put your GM hat on. You're looking ahead to the deadline. We're talking about some of the potential defense ads that could be made. T.S. Ekholm, top of the list, I think on pretty much anyone's list. Um, what, what, if you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, what are you prepared to give to get Ekholm and uh, do you think it gets it done? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a first round pick point, uh, we we definitely uh, uh, were talking about the you know, Jake Muzzin and the Alec Martinez uh, deals as comparables. Uh, probably going to take more than a than a two second round pick uh, deal like Vegas was able to swing for Martinez last year. And the value of those draft picks in a year where there haven't been as many games played at that junior league level i'm curious to see what the how that impacts the impact of what a first rounder is worth or or whether a team like the jets would be more willing to move it in a, for a player like ekholm who has term or as term or if they prefer to go to the rental route as they've used but right. I, I would i would be comfortable using a first round pick and i think you're still going to have to uh it's probably going to be a prospect i mean is a christian Veselainen? where do you draw the line you don't you're not, i'm not moving hanela I don't think I'm moving Sandberg, but I think you'd have to at least entertain the prospect of moving a Christian Veselainen, who would be even more appealing to Nashville because you wouldn't have to protect him uh, in the expansion draft as well. But I mean, it's going to be very interesting. What are the other offers? And that's the other thing that when you were talking about Philadelphia or Boston, those are teams that already have their three defensemen basically lined up for uh, who they're going to protect in expansion. And uh, it'll be excellent to see what happens here. All right. Now, uh, Kenny, um, as far as the North division goes, um, and you can, you know, the Jets can be an answer if you'd like. I'm not sure where you had them pegged at the beginning of the season, but 
Um, most disappointing team at this, let's just call it the midway point of this 56-game season. I know there's a different games played. Most disappointing team and team that maybe has exceeded your expectations. Yeah, for me, absolutely, it's Calgary. uh, And not just because I picked them to win the North Division. I mean, I know that everyone was picking Toronto, so I thought I would go with a different choice. I just thought that the additions of Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev on the back end would really help a group that impressed us uh, against the Jets in the bubble. And then again, they were 12 seconds away from going up three to one on Dallas, uh, the team that went, uh, you know, pretty deep, uh, deep, <laughs> and just couldn't get the job done. Uh, in terms of the team who's uh, bounced back or been a little bit more impressive than I thought, I mean, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, I think it has to be the Jets. I mean, I think that the Jets were pegged from anywhere from second to sixth in most of the predictions. I had them around, I think I chose them fourth. Uh, They were a bubble team going in, but also at the same time, I knew that because of their high-end talent up front and and an elite-level goal setting, that it wouldn't be a shock for them to be second. But uh, I think everybody else has sort of landed uh, where we expected. I also would say I think Edmonton's maybe a little bit further ahead and further along than I expected because I thought there was a decent chance that with the question marks in goal and on defense that they could be a team that actually fell flat and they haven't done that. And they've really rebounded nicely after that really tough start out of the gate. Now, Ken, um, I want to talk about the Kenny and Rennie show and a big addition that's coming up tomorrow. But, you know, the chat is full of many takes (laughs) on what we're talking about and many takes on things that are not related to what we're talking about. Um, For our listeners, we've got the time to do it. Um, Maybe the greatest athletic achievement in Manitoba history. (laughs) Two, Two holes in one in the same damn round. Um, everybody wants to hear about it. Maybe just, uh, you know, do the Barry Horowitz on yourself. You can pat yourself in the back (laughs) if you want while you're doing it. Two holes in one, same round. Please explain. Yeah, well, Hus, uh, well, Hus, uh, it was our, I was playing with a group of friends uh, of both of ours uh, in Jim Toth, Kevin Olszewski, and uh, Leah Hextall at Glendale. And, uh, the funny part that never gets told is a seven hour round. Yeah. Uh, the funny part that rarely gets told is that I had a quick uh, uh, out of the gate double double start. And if I hadn't been with my close friends, uh, I might have considered uh, not quitting, but I certainly was not expecting the round to go anywhere. Uh, stepped to the third tee at Glendale uh, over the water, dumped a nice uh, 140 yard pitching wedge that took two bounces and went into the hole. And uh, the funny, the, the funny part was that there were two junior players behind us on the second green. They actually noticed the ball go into the hole before we did. So their celebration happened before ours. Uh, and then the, the other classic part about that is that after we spent a few minutes, uh, social media it up, uh, Jim was just finishing off a tweet where one of those juniors behind us, he was so fired up about seeing a hole in one that he nearly drilled Toth in the head with his tee shot. The ball basically <laughs> went right through the cart, uh, and, and just missed Jim. Uh, the kid came up a little bit sheepishly and was apologizing and we're like, Oh my God, don't, don't worry about it. It was hilarious. Uh, and then we moved up to the 16th hole uh, at Glendale and um, it was Leah's first time playing the 16th and you know it has that severely tilted right to left oh, green. Yeah. and uh, after I took my first practice swing I, I turned back to Hexie I said uh, aim at the tall tree on the left and let it trickle down and, uh, and sure enough uh, again it was another pitching wedge uh, landed uh, at the top at my aiming point and quickly picked up speed through the middle. And I'm like, I hope it hits the flag or it might actually go in the water. So uh, <laughs> drills the flag and uh, we start going nuts. Uh, the people from the 17th tee ran back and said, 
uh, the ball would had been jiggling above the hole and hadn't dropped yet. Toth puts his arm around me and says, Weber, nice birdie. And then about <laughs> <laughs> five seconds later, uh, the ball drops and the people at the green start cheering. And uh, it was it was quite a scene. And uh, as many people have made fun of me uh, on the 18th, I was so pumped after the second one, Hus, that I my tee shot on 17 ended up uh, on the 18th of fairway, uh, scrambled my way in. And then on 18, I actually lost my drive on the left. And because I couldn't find it, I walked back to the tee and reloaded and uh, accepted my triple bogey so that it would be an official round. Uh, the scoring, it was not a career low as I finished with 80, uh, 87, uh, which is hard to do with two aces. Two holes in one. <laughs> and that's the other part that you also know, has. I, I nearly eagled two of the par fives. I had two two putt birdies uh, that that would have been conceivably three or four eagles on the card, but uh, it was quite a quite a memory. And I, honestly, I was shaking so much after the second hole in one that uh, I had trouble holding onto the club. So uh, it doesn't matter. If people want to bring it on. Uh, Eighty seven was was a terrible score in a hole that had two ones on the card. Doesn't matter. But I'm still pretty happy about how the card worked out. Yeah, no one can ever take that one away from you, Ken. And uh, and you know, while we're on while we're on, you know, your athletic accomplishments, let's go from <laughs> let's go from the all-time high to maybe a low one that you probably still aren't over. Can we talk a little bit about the <laughs> media home run derby with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, uh, which happens sure. to have been won by none other than Michael Remus in one of the great upsets in Winnipeg and Manitoba sports history. Yeah, Remo, uh, hat tip to Remo. Uh, I, I will have to say this, that uh, I, I used up most of all of my home runs in the batting cage prior to the showing. Uh, I'm really sorry that I let down Tom Vaith. Like, this was something that was important to me. Uh, I'm proud to have spent uh, five years in the Manitoba Junior Baseball League with the Pembina Valley Orioles. Uh, happy to go to a number of Western Canadian uh, championships with the Stonewall Blue Jays. I was feeling incredibly confident going into the box. Uh, Josh Drews, my old Stonewall Blue Jays teammate, was the guy on the mound. And uh, <laughs> man, it, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. That was the uh, it was the one time I wilted under the bright lights, Huss. Uh, but Remo, uh, full credit to him for going yard uh, and winning that competition. But uh, I, I would like to say that uh, that's one of those situations where uh, I would be more than happy to have a rematch uh, if we could get one set up at some point. It was one and done, man. He retired as a champ. <laughs> Listen, you can have all that great Manitoba Junior League baseball experience, but Reem, it's absolutely no match for a slugger from the Winnipeg Jewish men's look. <laughs> I've been dying to do like a 30 for 30 on that. Uh, <laughs> like, do the goal guys have video of it? Because uh, hitting... I sure hope not. Hitting a short one, you know, hitting a pop fly over the fence in front of however many thousand people there, that was, uh, that was a career highlight. No one can ever take that away from me, beating Troy Westwood and Ken Weeb in an athletic competition. Uh, it was unbelievable. I still have the trophy. I should bring it out. Yeah, I have to say, Haas, uh, I was the favorite going in, and I let down not only uh, my fellow media members, but I believe I let down the entire town of Eltona with that poor showing. Uh, a, num- a number of people drove in uh, for the outing, and uh, it was. I, 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 I'm going to also be honest here. People who had played against me know that I was never a power hitter. I'm more of a gap to gap guy, but I certainly. Uh, guy. I, I did. Let, 
I'm great at the top of the order, a great contact uh, hitter, but uh, I definitely yeah. let 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 the entire Premina Valley region down with that showing. There's no doubt about it. Well, that was a uh, that was a momentous moment, and <laughs> still it is still uh, memorialized in Michael Remus's Twitter profile. Um, and Remo, I hope you never ever take that out uh, that line. 2014 Winnipeg Media Home Run Derby champ. I don't think that's ever coming out of the file. I'm keeping that one in forever. Uh, and Andrew Collier, Goldeyes GM, is in chat. He says uh, he'll set up a rematch if you want. I'm bringing. I'll bring out the trophy tomorrow. It's in. A, it's in a drawer or it's in a uh, you know, closet. You need to get it in the background. I think that should always be in your shot when you're, uh, you know, in your little yoga pose on the floor there in Remus's basement, uh, producing uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. I'll be like Owen Hart with the Slammy Awards, just bringing them around everywhere. <laughs> Hey, one one other thing, uh, Huss. I'd like you to know. There's a. I just got word in my earpiece. Uh, there's an investigation about the possibility of a corked bat for Michael Remus. <laughs> Sammy Sosa esque. Yeah. <laughs> a scandal. A scandal that would rock the entire sports community to its core. Kenny Weeb's with us now. Weber, of course, you're doing a great job covering the Jets, uh, contributing for Sportsnet.ca. But you've also started a weekly uh, podcast show, YouTube podcast with um, Sean Reynolds of Sportsnet, the Kenny and Rennie show. People, if you haven't already, definitely get on the YouTube, give them a sub. Um, and you got a big show tomorrow. Tell us just a little bit about the project with Sean, what you guys have been doing and what you guys have cooking up tomorrow and when it will be. Yeah, Huss, thanks for shining a light there. I mean, much like you, we're, we, we know there's some fertile ground here when it comes to the enthusiastic and passionate sports fans uh, across this entire province and, and those who like to watch their uh, Manitoba sports teams from afar. So uh, we're doing a Friday morning show. Uh, we've, we've had a, some great guests coming out of the gate, including last week when we had Winnipegger Jennifer Botterill on, along with Chris Johnston. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have uh, Sportsnet insider Elliot Friedman will join us, along with Anthony Stewart, uh, who's also doing a great job over at Sportsnet and was part of that uh, great world junior team that uh, fans in Manitoba that made the uh, trip across the border to Grand Forks uh, are quite familiar with as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it's the same kind of idea here. The chance to talk sports is something we all miss so very much. And uh, it's been great to see the the, the reaction from folks uh, around Twitter, around YouTube, and uh, sort of testing out some grounds that we haven't really been uh, a part of in the past, but uh, been a lot of fun to to see where it goes. And it's great to see the engagement, Huss. And I mean, that's what you guys have seen so much in terms of the YouTube subscribers and the people tuning in. I mean, uh, it's just great to be able to provide it or have that platform to have these kind of discussions that uh, we used to have all the time. And I mean, I love those, mm-hmm. and you know this, I love those chants, you know, when Rick Ralph went on holidays, uh, and I got the call to sit in the chair across from you. We always love talking about sports. It's a great time of the year. Uh, I mean, this is this is twenty this is twenty twenty one pandemic style. Uh, <laughs> the other day, I'm watching the Blue Jays. Bro- like, there's not a broadcast on. There's a live video. One camera behind the plate. One from center field, uh, with no commentary and uh, just you know, wishing we were at spring training or having the opportunity to be back in those stadiums where uh, we've been so often and, and so often together. I mean, whether that's in Minnesota watching the Vikings oh, yeah, or, or Jays and Twins or whatever it is, and uh, I think it's it's a great time of the year. It's great to be getting closer to a sense of normalcy and just having that ability to connect, uh, A, with our fellow members of the media and B, with uh, that fan base who follows the sport so passionately in our market. I think it's been a real treat uh, and something that gives me a lot of pleasure. And 
I mean, you and I talked about this before you launched too. I mean, I'm super happy for you and Remo. I mean, this is an awesome project that you guys have got going. And I just love to see the response in the community that has already happened uh, in terms of this. Uh, You're just scratching the surface and getting started and know there's great things ahead on this program. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, we can't be, uh, I mean, thankful enough for the response that we've got since we uh, got back going. And um, it's great. I mean, it's going to be the same for you guys. I mean, I'm getting Roger, uh, Quinnell, Kenny and Rennie show is awesome. DF, I really like Reynolds and Weeb together. It's a good show. Sandy and G, Kenny and Rennie, they also did a post-game show two nights ago. Um, so a lot of people are liking it. But for people that, you know, are in the chat that don't know, um, you're already in YouTube. Put it up in the search, Kenny and Rennie show. Give them a sub, and uh, that'll be on what time tomorrow? You guys are going to be uh, firing it up? Yeah, 9 a.m. Uh, we usually go about an hour, hour and 15. Uh, Anthony Stewart will join us at about 9, 10 central, and Elliot uh, will come just to the bottom of the hour at 9.35. So it's uh, been fantastic, and I think we are going to also do another uh, post-game show here tonight. Uh, and those of you who joined us already, thanks for doing so. Uh, it's just a lot of fun to, again, talk about sports. It's a, it's a great time of year, and we love having you around and keep supporting uh, what Hustler and Remo have got going here as well. It's fantastic. Well, it's great. And you know what? Like we tell everyone in the uh, in, in the in the chat and in the uh, YouTube live stream, um, you know, please like the video. That helps big time and throw some comments in. So listen, if you do me a favor, support the guys. Go in there tonight. Make sure you comment and feel free just to take shots the whole time because <laughs> comments are comments. It all counts, Ken, and uh, certainly uh, makes it fun. But listen, we'll have to get Sean on here at some point as well. And Needless to say, hopefully we'll be having many chats like this going forward, but uh, really looking forward to this game tonight. And uh, we'll check in with you guys post-game and look forward to uh, the next edition of the Kenny and Rennie Show tomorrow morning before we get going to finish up week one of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Awesome, Huss. Thanks again for having me and uh, have a great rest of the show and a great week here, my man. Take care. Right right on, dude. This was a, a lot of fun. There he is, Ken Weeb. Um, you probably already do. Follow him on Twitter, at Weeb's World. Um, and yeah, no, he and Sean have been doing an awesome job, but, uh, you know, getting out. I mean, again, you know, without 1290 around, um, you know, there are many of you that are with us live. Some of you that are checking out the podcast later, um, you know, trying to deliver some of the same content that we know there's big demand for in some different ways than, uh, than utilizing the AM dial as we had before. So anyways, great stuff from Ken. Awesome to have him on the program. Um, let's get Remo back in here uh, because it was nice of him to jump in and chat while we were discussing the uh, the home run the the derby. How, how pumped were you when I brought up the home run? Derby? Oh, I'll talk about it all day. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about uh, personal great athletic achievements. I mean, I'll never get that chance again. Has uh, standing in the batter's box at uh, what is it called Shaw Park now uh, with all the fans there for the All Star game, hitting one, getting that cheer. Um, I know what it feels like now to be a, a pro athlete at any level. It's incredible. I lost my mind. I <laughs> lost my mind. I was so pumped. It was like the greatest upset of all time because, as you mentioned, Westwood, who is jacked, and yeah. Ken, who, you know, is like Ken, he was joking. He's a very, very good ball player. I mean, he played at a very, very high level. And, uh, you know, they just didn't have the pop that uh, that you did, Reem. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Uh, I went in the batting cage and I realized, you know what, I'm, I'm – Feel an opposite field tonight, and uh, I think it, I forget who was pitching, but I think it was like the Goldeyes bullpen catcher was lobbing him in, and he's like, "Where do you want it?" I'm like, "Throw it outside," and I just kept uh, poking him <laughs> over this shortened fence, uh, and I was I think it was the only one to hit one. I think they thought other people would be able to hit, or we all buckled under the pressure, but uh, one man, myself, uh, was able to put on somewhat of a show. Hitting a couple over it the, was, the shortened fence. 
it was uh, it was a great moment, and and, well, and as I said, you know, yeah, that trophy needs to be in the background. I, I don't know what doing Winnipeg sports talk yeah, from here on in. I don't know what I'm what I've been doing not having it on display. Like, you know, it'd be good. You know, it'd be good. Maybe on the on your back wall there. Maybe you should do a mural of yeah. you know a painting of you know the home run shot. Maybe you know a couple other shots. You could get a picture. The artist could draw Ken and Westy with their hand head in their yeah. hands <laughs> shot that you just pulled it off. I, I think you could come up with a pretty good yeah. look. Uh, anyways, that was great to have Ken on. And I know a couple people in the chat wondering where they can do it. It's just just going to YouTube, Kenny. And Rennie, R-E-N-N-Y. And um, that's uh, Ken Weeb and Sean Reynolds. And uh, they'll be doing it tomorrow morning. Again, you can catch it live like our show or you can catch it afterwards. And again, much like our show, um, you know, you, when you're starting new things, any support you can get with likes, comments, and uh, certainly spreading the word, very, very helpful. And uh, great to have Ken join us. And we'll look forward to doing the same with Sean at some point soon. All right, Remo, uh, we're going to get to the cool bet lines in a minute. I'll give it a little update from the Players' Championship sort of at the end of the program. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about this report from Pierre Lebrun that came out a little earlier today. Um, the proposed changes to the draft lottery for the National Hockey League that's been sent to the Board of Governors. Three pretty significant changes. Number one, the number of lottery draws is reduced from three to two beginning in 2021. So the last place team can't draft any lower than third overall. And obviously the odds of drafting first overall for the last place team also increases. Number two, the maximum move up for a lottery winner is limited to 10 spots. So only 11 teams can win the lottery and draft first overall instead of 16. That's starting in 2022. And then, (laughs) this is interesting, what do you call this, the Euler rule? Uh, No team can win the draft lottery more than twice in a five-year period. So it does look like the draft is going to go ahead. Um, You know, there's too many challenges, both from a league perspective and a PA, to delay it or move it into next year. So there will be a draft. I mean, scouting challenges, um, unlike anything that we've seen before. Um, But some pretty significant changes to that draft lottery, both for this season and going into next. Yeah, I kind of agree with these changes. Uh, I think the first one, I mean, the last place team should definitely get a top three pick. And I know we saw like a, a long shot thing, but you have a percent chance. So we, you know, we saw that this year. There's no reason why you know 16 teams should have a shot at number one. I mean, if you're on the cusp of a playoff spot, I don't think you should get a shot at number one. That makes sense as well. And the Euler rule, as you called it, uh, more than t- you can't win it more than twice in a five year period. I think that discourages tanking. Um, sure, I, I think I, I'm I'm okay with that one. Like, what you get number two pick. So I'm not sure how. We're, not sure how they would implement that rule like if you if you still have the odds you just if you win it's a redraw because how would they reallocate the odds if a team is not eligible so um we'll see what what finalized but i think all those plans uh make sense you know if you're if you're what the last team you should have a better chance than they currently have i think you only had 25 percent chance of, yeah of i running. would imagine i would imagine if you were one of those bought like say you were the 15th team um and you won the lottery I think probably what would happen is you would move up. I would assume you would move up to five. I mean, you would just move up the 10 spots as opposed to moving all the way up to the top. Other than that, why even have those teams in the lottery? I mean, just do it with 11 teams. So there'll be more details on that when they, uh, when we, uh, when we get it out. Um, we've got lots of great, lots of great comments in the, uh, in the chat. Keep those coming folks. Um, Gary Bettman spoke today. Um, and, you know, we kind of mentioned off the top of the program, one year ago today, Jets beat the Oilers 4-2 in Edmonton. And in the midst of that game, we knew that afterwards that was going to be it for the National Hockey League. 
Um, but here's Bettman's quote on fans in NHL arenas today from our pal Stephen Wino. Quote, as long as the pandemic cooperates and there is more and more vaccinations going on, we are optimistic that as we get towards the playoffs, the number of clubs and the number of people will continue to increase. And then Bill Daly touched on it as well. Obviously, we're governed to a large extent by what the local health authorities find appropriate and not appropriate in particular markets. And that is reflective to a large extent to the conditions within each market. I was having a chat with a friend, um, I don't know, last night or the night before just about this. And, you know, we're seeing what's happening in, you know, in the United States. I mean, they're getting the shots. They're opening things up. I mean, more and more fans. I mean, Governor, for crying out loud, said that everything has to be 100% right away. Now, I'm not going to get into the pros and cons of doing that. All I'm saying is that the atmosphere at buildings in the States going into the playoffs is going to be very, very different than it is here in Canada. And let's just say that the winner of the North Division, you know, moves on to that Final Four. Um, You know, let's just say that they figure out a way with the border not to have quarantine and get the teams into play in both in both countries. How crazy will that be to have, you know, potentially a full barn in Tampa cheering on the lightning and then coming back north of the border to an empty arena for the Stanley Cup final for the other team in it if they're a Canadian? Yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to work with uh, with crossing the border, but uh, the idea of a full building, you know, no, a no, usually a normal thing for a Stanley Cup final or a playoff game, uh, is almost like frightening to me right now. And even so, so even something like you're going out for for dinner inside. I mean, even something like like that at this point. But I think we're we're again nearing the end of this pandemic. We know all the protocols. We know everyone's wearing masks. You're seeing a lot of uh, teams allowing what ten percent, twenty five percent capacity. I know you know the New York State has opened up. Vegas now allowing fans. So we're getting closer. And I know Bevan is saying he wants it to be back to normal everywhere by October. Uh, we'll wait and see how it goes. It seems like things are are progressing. You know a bit more quickly in terms of vaccine in the states here in Manitoba. Um, you know they're saying it's moving along uh, more quickly as well now. So I don't want to put you know put look too far ahead but it seems like we're on the right right track to getting more fans back in buildings and it's going to be it's going to be awesome us when you know we finally get that first game with with full capacity it's going to be a bit of a celebration i think all right uh but split has popped in uh saying i'm back yeah. to the welder's glasses today you guys stopped glasses shaming me online mm-hmm. gary lawless did that enough initially mm-hmm. when i got these things and i know i did wear the reading glasses yesterday that's sort of a remus like oh yeah those are good those are are those yours or your wife's uh these are mine these are those uh blue light glasses that oh. may or may not be scientifically uh proven but i figured uh, you know what? This is the part of the show where we need to act a bit smarter, right? Yeah. <laughs> People take us more seriously now. I well, wanted to uh, go in solidarity with uh, you. You know what? I will. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the support. And I do have another pair of glasses. Maybe I'll pull it. Mm-hmm. I just like these ones the best. They sort of feel, and I know, I guess, welder's goggles. I played a lot of squash and racket sports earlier in my life, and I was always used to, you know, the clear nature of those things so i don't know why I, I i connected with these ones but i will mix them up a little bit um got a good laugh i i can take it though um but remo as uh, i do want to get to the cool bet lines of the day uh, of course uh, if you want to uh, put a little sprinkle as i like to say on some of the games tonight do it at coolbet.com the most transparent book 
on the web. Um, I've been playing there for over, geez, about 18 months. I really got into it because I thought the golf odds were the best. But, well, man, we've had just a great time working with them. There's a lot of really great features. You can see who the top bettors are, some of their last picks. Uh, but it's all there at CoolBet.com. And if you do want to get involved, we've got a deal for you, a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to 200 bucks, use the promo code WST and uh, they'll get you hooked up. Now, going to CoolBet, Rumo is saying, as a man of the people, I've heard from people in the chat, um, many people were having a tough time with me utilizing the um, the American version, like the plus 100, mm-hmm. the minus 130. So for the people, today we will be doing the CoolBet daily lines in decimal decimal form and i think that yeah. might make it easier for people that that would be similar to a pro line odd number um where it's just basically multiplied yeah. uh through i'm gonna be like you like american odds i know american odds seem to be the most popular thing but i i'm a decimal odd guy i change it to decimal i don't understand like why american like bet a hundred to win. i mean i understand them but like minus 230 you know bet a hundred you know what is it 230 to win a hundred. Just give me the decimal odd. Let me multiply my bet by the odd. It's so much easier. Like I think we need to abolish American odds. They're awful. It's well, no. I see. I like. I I can immediately know favorites or underdogs easier while looking at the lines mm-hmm. as opposed to the decimals. So that's actually why I like it. But again, for the people, we'll do decimal odds today. And of course, we're going to be starting with the Winnipeg Jets and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Jets two point five five as a road dog and i guess that would uh, that would be plus 155 so i'm um, certainly the leafs a pretty significant favorite 1.55 for the maple leafs on the money line and the total for the game tonight is six and a half over 2.2 under 1.71 pretty high number you know man, man i was looking at that islanders boston game two nights ago you know i'm always paying I, i'm more of a guy that you know is betting sides sometimes on the puck line very rarely do i go totals but i could not believe it reem that game closed at an over under of four and a what? half and went under wow yeah you don't see too many totals you see a lot of scoring one game that i'm looking at i'm interested to seeing montreal versus calgary uh, montreal played straight pick em, straight yeah. pick em tonight. montreal played last night in vancouver managed to win but get this uh, what was it? 10 p.m. Central time start. That's 11 Eastern for Montreal fans. I think uh, around one, the game was going into the third period. Absolutely, like absolutely insane to start that late. Montreal and winning. No time zone excuses for them. Uh, no time zone excuses. But you know, just you know, however many hours later, they're in Calgary. So I know Calgary. They've not playing great. They got Daryl Sutter behind the bench, but in a pick him. I think that's some nice value on Calgary against a Montreal team who, uh, you know, who got the win in a late one. Last by the night. way, by the way, does anyone in the chat? Usually, this is something I should be the one telling people, but I, for the life of me, have no idea why that game started at eight o'clock in Vancouver last night. I mean, if you're a Montreal fan, that was starting at eleven p.m. And I mean, listen, we've been used to some late games, nine o'clock starts here, but I mean, Matt, eleven o'clock. Had some fun thinking about what that post game show was like last night in Montreal. Um, uh, but interesting, yeah, bus splits on Calgary as well. Um, and we've also uh, Bud's in the box. We got a Leaf fan in the chat. He says Jets are going down tonight. Rainman thinks the Jets are going to go do it again. Five two, take it to the bank. I'm not sure if we are going to be taking anything to the bank. We got the Jets as the underdog in the opener. 
think we might just sit this one out and uh, maybe hit some of the other games. But a lot of action tonight in the National Hockey League. Uh, nine game, no, ten games on tap. All the odds there at CoolBet.com. And we can also uh, Briar odds for tonight's matchups. Um, some big, big games going into these final. And Jason Gunlicks in Manitoba, as we talked with Ted a little bit earlier, you know, lost earlier today to BC and now is finishing it up against the 6-1 and one Howard rink. So an absolute, this is kind of a playoff-like game for Gunner. I mean, if he loses to go to 5-3, and that would be a real disappointing 5-0 and start and then three straight losses. Still should be good enough for a spot or at least a tiebreaker. Um, but, you know, if you win that game against Howard, then it essentially evens everything up as they come in at 6-1. and one. So that's a big one tonight. And that one, speaking of pick'ems, is a straight pick'em. 1.85 for Gunner. And 1.85 for wildcard. And i uh, got to give a shout out to Spanish Red Eye in the chat who said American odds way better than decimal. I'm with you, Spanish Red Eye. Um, he's also a great PGA 2K2 player uh, player who I like to get with uh, at, at online. Um, all right. So Kubet.com, promo code WST. Um, check it out. And if you want to get in on it, uh, certainly love the site. Pretty much do all of my bets there right now. And uh I, I've, dri- I've drifted off the top of the Cool Bet leaderboard, but that was fun while it lasted, and then maybe we'll try and get on another heater going forward. Um, before we're done, let's check out the uh, Players' Championship right now. Action continues at TPC Sawgrass at Ponte Vera, Florida. And how about Sergio Garcia, a 7-under 65 opening round. He is clear of three shots of the field. Second place, tied from the morning rounds, 68 Matthew Fitzpatrick and Canadian Corey Connors continuing to play well. And it was sort of a reversal of Corey Connors, you know, normally, you know, usually he strikes the ball so well and has just had some real putting problems. Um, Today, I'm not even sure his iron game was up to his usual standard, but he was dropping some putts. So a great start for Corey Connors. Uh, Danny McCarthy is also at four under. And then at three, you've got Lee Westwood, uh, Ryan Palmer, Shane Lowry right now. Gary Woodland finished at two under. Victor Hovland as well. And look, there's another Canadian flag on the leaderboard. Nick Taylor is tied for 11th right now after a two under opening round of 70. Um, you got to go down the leaderboard to find some of the, you know, the guys that, you know, maybe we expected to be up near the top. My guy, Tony Fina absolutely miserable start to the day he shot a 42 seven over on the front nine um he ended up getting a one back on the back nine but six over par for tony but he beat rory mcelroy rory i don't know what's up with rory right now he's seven over 79 to start things off a really really disappointing start and, uh, oh, man, my other guy. This is going to kill a lot of DraftKings lineups, Remo. My guy, Benny on Byung-Hung on an 11 over 83. So uh, <laughs> not a good start. I think we'll uh, we'll be kind of just cheering for Corey Connors going forward here as he's three shots off. Um, a really great a, a really great tournament, uh, iconic golf course. And uh, anyone that played Tiger Woods back in the day, back in the day, Reem, even if they're not a big golf fan, knows TPC Sawgrass. Of course, it's an absolutely uh, you know iconic golf course, uh, great field. Love seeing uh, Canadians at the top. Gives you something to cheer for. So that is uh, something we'll be watching uh, as the weekend goes on. Yeah, and uh, we're looking to see. I possibly wanted to know about Jordan Spieth. Just doing a quick run up. Daniel Berger three over. That's also not good for my uh, my bets. Uh, John Rom three. The Kiz three. 
Let's see, where do we have Jordan Spieth as we go up the list? Will Zalatoris won over right now. What a player he is. Um, Adam Scott, we're uh, going to get up to even right now. Adam Hadwin, by the way, Canadian, he's even through five holes right now as we tape. DJ also there. And, uh, man, maybe Jordan Spieth's up a little higher than we thought before. Either that or I've just missed him. Um, Justin Thomas, by the way, one under par. Phil Mickelson, one under par. And there's your boy Jordan bus split. He's two under, just finishing his front nine. So uh, that's going to be great. A really, really fun tournament and amazing coverage. And, you know, from a DFS and fantasy perspective, Remo, and I'm not sure whether we're able to get this in Canada, but for the first time, um, every shot will be available live. Um, And that is something that, you know, you can do that at a course that you play year after year after year. As we talked with Ryan Hart yesterday, the tournament director for the players, this is really the signature event of the year on the PGA Tour, the biggest money event. Um, The majors are run by other organizations. So um, it's a great start, but I think certainly as as gambling and fantasy grows in golf, which to me is one of the best sports for it, you really do need to be able to see the shots happening in live real time. And um, sounds like with the players, they're sort of starting that off this year. Yeah, well well done uh, with the players because I think golf, especially with some of the big tournaments, suffers by you can't watch it. Uh, I don't understand why you wouldn't just make everything available. So good for them doing the right thing. And I think as we go forward, you'll see more of that. Especially the, like the worst is is the Masters. I know it's like a prestigious tournament. They want to make it like elite, but show the damn shots. Like, come on. Oh well, yeah. <sighs> starting it off at two o'clock in the afternoon makes me so so like, mad. And that's why I love the PGA because the coverage starts at six in the morning and it's literally on TV all mm-hmm. day. So um, I tell you what, this has been a great show. Um, and, you know, taking the curtain back, now that we've gotten through this, I think pretty much everything worked today. We should be able to get the podcast up on time. Yes. We've got the video with our call. I mean, it's re- it really is all coming together, Chief Technical Officer of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Yeah, I was pulling my hair out uh, the last couple of days. I've been really, you know, really sad in my office. But uh, today, other than me forgetting to turn my mic on, everything seems to be working. So it was show four. Uh, we're getting into the swing of things. We're figuring out the routine. I'm feeling much better better today. I think just the most difficult part has to sitting here um, you know, for an hour and a half without uh, time to get up and go to the bathroom. That's really the toughest part. Yeah, you are a frequent peer from back in the yeah. day. I do remember that. So you can run and do that right afterwards. And uh, But you know what? You know, the fact that you have, you know, people won't know this. Um, and I didn't know this until you told me. But if you were looking on the YouTube right now, Remo is um, is a, a sit-on-the-floor guy. He's turned into sit-on-the-floor guy, n- no chair. Um, and, you know, I, I'm wondering, how comfortable do you feel it by the end of the program, considering you're uh, essentially sitting there cross-legged from the floor working uh, working the show? Yeah, cross-legged, legs extended. Uh, I'm doing it all here. So I'll post a picture of, uh, you know, Winnipeg Sports Talk HQ on our Instagram story. So, the des- you know, link's in the description. Uh, we'll get that out there eventually so you can see uh, how things are run here. And, yes, all of our social media, yeah, they're all in the description. So give follow them all. Yeah, what would have been really great is if we had a, a CTO Michael Remus camera on throughout the last couple of shows. So just to see what was happening behind the scenes. That would have made, Maybe that would be how we get onto TikTok for the first time. Freakouts behind the scenes. Yeah, well, I, I mean, when guys are calling me on Skype and I can't see their video and you can, uh, <laughs> sometimes technology, like, it's, I don't know, you just throw your hands up and you're like, what's going on? I'm, people are messaging us saying, Google Podcasts isn't updating that quickly. 
I don't know why. I have no idea. So, uh, but follow us. We're on all the podcasts. I think Spotify is the best one. Uh, there's Apple if you have an iPhone. But uh, we have do appreciate all the follows, all the likes. I know we're very close to uh, 2,800 subscribers on YouTube. So if you're not subscribing and you're watching, uh, hit it, hit the button now, and also hit the like button too. If you're on mobile, just X out the chat, and that thumbs up button will come up. So uh, all the likes, all the subs, follows, retweets. Everything is so appreciated. We're, we're so blown away uh, by the positive reception. We're getting so many messages uh, from people who are, who are really enjoying this. So thank you, everyone. We see you all in chat. It has been. We're building an amazing community here. So a team, there you go, walking orders from the CTO. Uh, like, sub, do all the YouTube things that uh, you know you hear on all the videos. It's certainly, the support has been amazing. It's helping us out big time. And uh, we continue to grow show after show. Well, listen, Reem, we do want to get these podcasts up by 3 o'clock. So uh, I think that's going to do it for us, folks. Thanks again for uh, hanging out with us today. For those of you listening later on in the podcast, it's great to be with you on the drive home. Enjoy the game tonight. Night. Looking forward to it. Six o'clock start Winnipeg time. Jets and Toronto Maple Leafs in game two of this three game series. And we'll be back tomorrow to break it all down on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Our old pal Ryan Brandt, who we used to chop it up as a threesome on the warm up all the time, is going to join us. And Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press. More on the CFL. XFL future and of course Jeff's thoughts on the Jets after game two and a look ahead to Saturday night in Toronto for the finale of this three game season. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Thanks for joining us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks again to our sponsors, Not Auto Corp, Boston Pizza, Nick and Nicky DQ and of course Royal Sports. We'll see you tomorrow on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Enjoy the game tonight and thanks for hanging out everybody.